continuing of the new birth series. This morning I I opened the topic with really a two-part question. The first question I ask is, how do we know that the baptism is only in Jesus' name? And how do we know that the apostles only baptized in Jesus' name? Now, first we have to look at context. We have to look at what was happening during this time. And we can take that there were 12 men that spent approximately three years of time with Jesus. And by many accounts, these men were ordinary. They did not have a proper education or carry with them any additional knowledge of the Torah. It was common for the Jewish people to know the Shema, a Jewish declaration of faith that can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one, the only God. As we look at the culture of the Jewish people during this time era, there are some constants that are in their society. Each Jewish person would offer a sacrifice every year. And they would make a trip to the temple and offer up that year's sacrifice. There were certain criteria that had to be met for that sacrifice to be accepted. These different practices were not just customs, but it was their life. We have this strictly monotheistic, one God worldview coupled with a yearly sacrifice. Through the study of the time of Jesus, you begin to draw this picture of their surroundings. These people who had held on to a promise for a long time, a very long time, that a Messiah would come. And desperately wanting to be free of Roman Roman rule. That is why the Jewish people looked to the words of Deuteronomy 11, chapter 11, verse 18 through 20 as having a literal application, which is in direct reference to the Shema. And the people would put this verse into a box called the Teflon. And it says, Therefore you shall impress these words of mine on your heart and your soul, and tie them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as bands, frontals or frontlets, on your forehead. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with his truths. Speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This was the culture of the apostles. They strictly believed in a monotheistic one God culture. Would have, they would have had a lot of issues with the mindset that a trinity of God could even exist. In fact, it would have been considered a form of idolatry to worship those gods or that God. And the trinity of God was not introduced until around the time of the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And was definitely not heard of in the time of Jesus' ministry. In fact, if you go back to that time, that council formed the view of Trinitarianism. 
And when you look at it, the majority of baptisms that were still taking place when that council formed were still in Jesus' name. And when they were asked, when theologians are asked, why, do you still do, why were they still doing that? They said, well, it was, it was a way for us to get away from the Trinitarian view. It was a way for us to say, this is how we explain it, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. And we can see that just a few years, though, after Christ's ascension into heaven, Paul wrote that there were false apostles leading the churches of his time into apostasy. That is a denying of the true gospel, a going away of what the original founders believed. And we can find one of those examples in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. It says, for such are false apostles. Deceitful workers transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. Paul would also later on write to his disciple Timothy declaring to stay away from those false teachers. He said stay away and stay true to the teachings of Jesus. There will always be a new teaching on the true gospel that does not line up with what Jesus taught. Brother Kevin taught on easy believism a few weeks ago. And there are always those that will try to fit their narrative into a box about God. And in a time that we need God's clear direction more than ever, we can find the words of Jesus found in John 14.1. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Jesus was preparing his disciples for his crucifixion. He wanted to give them hope for the days ahead. John 14, 4 through 7 says, And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas responded, he says, No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus directly responds with, I I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to me, the Father, except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is, and from now on you know him and have seen him. So as you travel through the Gospels, you can see how each individual apostle received their personal revelation of Jesus. In this account, the Bible didn't say that they were all together in one place. It doesn't list them as They did in the upper room, but the account calls out one specific disciple in the very next verse. And Philip asked the question, he says, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus responds and says, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still do not know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me. Just believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. And one of the most debated verses that concerns a baptismal formula can be found in Matthew Chapter 28, verse 19. And it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. 
And I want to pause in this verse for a brief moment and just pull out some key words from this verse. The first key word that we can find when we look at it in the King James English, it says teach. But then when we look at it in the New Living Translation, it says disciple. The command was clear and and it was to disciple and to teach all nations. Not some nations, but all nations. This is an all-inclusive, multicultural command that wants to reach the whole world with the whole gospel. The word that jumps out to me, secondly, is the name. But I ask you this morning, whose name was it? These were 12 men that were sent. Sent by God to deliver a message about Jesus. But more specifically, about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is the gospel message. This is the eyewitness accounts that came from the 11 men excluding Judas. Judas really just serves as a cautionary tale to when the gospel is rejected. When we speak about the gospels or the gospel message often referred to in many Christian cultures or circles as the good news. We are talking about eyewitness accounts, though, from the apostles. And the books that make up the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These men followed Jesus for three years. And their individual revelation of who Jesus was began at different times. It had to be birthed in their spirits, in their hearts. Each account revealing the deity of Jesus Christ in different stylistic forms of writing. The only complete commonality that these accounts have is that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh and that the only way to God is through Him. Out of these 12 men, there was one who stood out the most, though, at least to me. He was loud, he was impulsive, and his name was Simon Barjona. It would later be known as Peter. And really, Peter had left his profession behind, as did all of the apostles, including Judas. But Peter believed in Jesus with everything that lived in him. He would proclaim many times that he would die with his rabbi. We see the first account when Peter actually declares who Jesus is in public. And in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 19, we can find that account. And it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that a son of man is? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or even one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose shall be loosed in heaven. Peter was the apostle who received the keys to the kingdom of God. He was anointed to carry this gospel message to the Jewish people. Yet not many days after Peter received this proclamation from Jesus, Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. But this is grace. This is the grace of the cross. This is the, the gospel message. It would not be a redemption story if we did not need redeeming. So around 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah prophesies about his coming. And it says in Isaiah 53, 5 through 9, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We had turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. But with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence. Nor was any deceit in his mouth. Peter would later on write an epistle. A letter to the Jewish and Gentiles believers alike. Exalting the great innocence of Jesus. And speaking of the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. And Peter said, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. This is the gospel. And when it is preached, we hear it. We even feel it. Something deep down inside of you starts to well up and you feel the response in your soul. And these 12 men had to make a decision to follow Jesus. They didn't hear the gospel, they lived it. And their witness lives on so that we can hear about it today on this very morning. The new birth is a process. It is a life change, a situation, decision predicated on the very word of Jesus Christ. See, we first hear the word of the Lord in the simple gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection. And then we're settled with a choice. To either respond or not respond. This need to respond, though, is not prompted from a preacher's proclamation. 
of the truth. It comes from the pricking of the heart, the sharp truth of sacrifice that was made by Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 says, Who being in the form of God, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of the things in heaven and the things in earth and the things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is why we need the new birth experience. It is what makes our path to salvation by being justified of the works of the cross. We are all sinners and we all deserve to pay that price of sin. And that is why on the day of Pentecost, directly after the infilling of the Holy Ghost in that upper room, Peter stood up and proclaimed to the people who had chosen to crucify the Redeemer of this world. He, you can find these words in the book of Acts, in Acts 2, verses 14 through 15. And it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you. And hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. And this was following the outpouring of the Holy Ghost upon these men. And Peter exclaims that it shall come to pass that whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's that name again, that word name. And as I continue on, I want you to focus on the name. The next slide will reflect Matthew 28, 19. And I just say, ask yourself, whose name is it? Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by many miracles and wonders and signs which God did in him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Yea, have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. And this is the resurrection of Jesus being preached. You know, before the time of Jesus, there was a great debate between the religious sect that resurrection was even possible. And that is why when you look at the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the new birth experience, it has with it the potential to change a life. It has with it to take from the ashes of a broken home and renew and restore. That is the new birth. Because what is impossible becomes possible with the name Jesus 
And Peter goes on in the book of Acts to tell of the lineage of David and the prophetic fulfillment of the Old Testament. That there would be a out of the line of Jesse, a Messiah. And Peter declares in Acts, saying, He's seen this spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, when they heard this proclamation, they said that we are pricked in our heart. And they began to say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what must we do? And this gospel message is what prompted them to listen and to hear and ask, what must we do? But Peter, Lord, I love Peter. He goes on and he tells us what we must do. And in Acts 2.38, he says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise is unto you and unto your children and unto all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now these apostles would go on and begin to administer Jesus' name baptism throughout the entire land of Israel. And, but they would go beyond that. They would go to the outer reaches. And still today we are left with a cliff note, with a reminder at the end of the book of Acts that this new birth experience is not ended, but it is just beginning. It is the all-important thing that we must remember that Jesus died on the cross so that we might be free. If you could stand to your feet and just begin to pray to the Lord as we enter into another season of worship.